Hi, this is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO Magazine, and I'm back with another episode of Mike on MedTech. Joining me, as always, is Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. Mike, how are you today? I'm well, Sean. Thank you. And uh, so, you know, we're going we're gonna to follow the same routine that we've been doing the last couple of podcasts, where we uh, base our discussion today off of my latest editor's letter, uh, specifically for this one, we're talking about the May 2018 issue of MPO Magazine, which focused on uh, voice-enabled uh, medical technology, or I should say voice-controlled uh, medical technology, kind of, you know, medical devices uh, centered around the use of uh, a person's voice. So uh, in my opening, I kind of make reference to the life alert system, which everyone knows as the I've help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. Um, and I, I think loosely I refer to it as a medical device. So let's start there. I mean, you know, Mike, is this really a, you know, is, is the life alert system a medical device? Is that a little loose or is it more of just a smart home, you know, uh, uh, maybe elderly focused, uh, you know, nice product, but not really something the FDA needs to get involved with? Or is this, in fact, a device that the FDA would regulate? Well, it's a great question, Sean, and thanks again for the opportunity to discuss this with you and your audience. So fundamentally, the question that we're asking here is not is it a medical device, but is it a regulated medical device? And there is a difference. You know, there are a lot of products out there that are medical devices, but they are not regulated medical devices. That is, uh, there's nothing required by the FDA in terms of a 510K or de novo or PMA or registration or anything like that. Wellness devices are a perfect example of that. So specifically with regard to Life Alert, what it comes down to is does it fit the Code of Federal Regulations definition, the CFR definition of a medical device, which among other things says that um, uh, it's used to diagnose, treat, prevent, cure, uh, injury, illness, disease, dot, dot, dot. So the Life Alert system based on my understanding of both the labeling as well as the technology, is not a regulated medical device. Therefore, the company would have no obligation to take this to the FDA in the form of some sort of a a 510K or something like that, based on not just the technology but on the labeling, on the claims. Because as I understand it, and I'm not involved with this particular product, you know, but we all have seen the, the ads, you know, the commercials on the TV, um, it's just nothing more than a notification system. If somebody is having some sort of a medical problem, they push the button and, you know, 911 is notified or something like that. If they were to make a more aggressive, a more robust claim, like, for example, use this product and lower your likelihood of dying from a heart attack or something like that. Now you get into the more gray area because now you are making more specific medical claims, and that might change the calculus in terms of whether you have to take this to the FDA or not. But based on my understanding of the product at the moment, um, it is not a regulated medical device. So just to just to go on what you were kind of just commenting on there with regard to, you know, if they enhance the service to to include say a diagnosis if if you know, I fall help, I fall and I can't get up, I'm suffering from chest pains. Uh, you know, if if the person on the other end starts 
you know, well taken aspirin. I mean, that seems to be where the line would be if if they are designated, if they are, you know, on that call uh, initiating some sort of action beyond simply, re- you know, calling 911 and saying we are sending help to you. But if they make some sort of uh, judgment call, I would think that might be the line right there. Uh, yes, I would just put a, a small qualifier on what you just sh- said, Sean, and that is if the device is making that recommendation. In other words, if the device simply calls the phone for you and somebody on the 911 call center says, you know, to take an aspirin or do something, then FDA has absolutely nothing to do with that because that's the practice of medicine and FDA does not regulate the practice of medicine. And that's what all the regulatory professionals say and that's what all the textbooks say, but the textbook is never complete. The FDA does not regulate the practice of medicine when it is practiced by a person, a physician, a nurse, or in this case, somebody working in the 911 call center. But when the practice of medicine is being practiced by a device, if the device actually tells the patient, hey, you haven't moved for, you know, the last several minutes, you know, you're, you're having a, you know, a heart attack or something like that, uh, now that's a very different story and now all bets are off. So you're definitely getting into the gray area. And one last thing that I would add, Sean, in terms of this question of what is a medical device, the life alert is a great example, but this is exactly the same question that we run into when we talk about software apps and, as I mentioned before, wellness devices and so on. This whole question of what is a medical device to most people seems like a, like a trivial question, but it's really not, or I should say what is a regulated medical device. It's really not a trivial question. What it really comes down to is not just what the device does or how it works, but more importantly, what you say about the device, your, your label claims. That's really what this comes down to. That, that's, and that's really interesting, actually, what you, what you, the, the clarification you provided on the life alert where, you know, because it's another person on the other end, the service is not coupled in the eyes of the FDA with the device itself. The device itself is merely a, a tool to, uh, to establish the communication link between the person and the, the patient, for lack of a better word. Uh, and that service then is not coupled with the device. So it is seen as two separate things by the FDA, whereas a person buying it obviously isn't going to buy just the device. They have they, they're buying the device and the service as one thing to them, to the consumer. Uh, so it's interesting that the FDA views it, however, for regulation as two separate things. Well, that's exactly right, Sean. And another way to think about it is it's nothing more than an extension of the telephone or of the Internet. You know, years ago, people used to, to have a bit of a debate, you know, uh, if you're transmitting say, EKG information over the telephone, or if you're transmitting um, EKG or some other, you know, imaging, for example, over the Internet. Does that mean that the uh, telephone or the Internet, you know, become a, a regulated medical device? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. It's nothing more than the than the uh, the pipe, if you will, that we use to transmit that information. However, that does not mean that the company does not have an obligation from a quality perspective to test to make sure that when they do transmit that information, that it's transmitted reliably, that you have you know error checking and you know all that other kind of stuff to make sure that 
that information does not change uh, by the time it gets to the other end so that when it's viewed by the physician, you know, then uh, it's, it's you're not going to, you know, it's, it's accurate. It's not going to impact the safety, efficacy, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, um, that's the, the quick take on, on uh, whether or not this is a regulated medical device. Yeah, def- definitely an interesting discussion. Uh, all right, so let's, let's get away from that for, for a little bit, and let's go to the voice uh, uh, element, which is what my, my editor's letter was really kind of based around. And let's talk about uh, it being used within a regulated medical device. So we have a, a regulated medical device that has a software component that is – let's just say, making a diagnosis or uh, uh, providing um, suggestions for medical uh, action to a patient that's using this device. You know, is, does, does, is there a special designation because it's using a voice interface? Does that uh, put it into any sort of special category with the FDA? Is there any sort of uh, additional oversight because of the voice-enabled element? So it's a good question, Sean. The, the, the short answer is there is no special category, to use your phrase, because that, uh, the device has voice recognition. And in my opinion, to be, to be frank, there never should be, because to me, um, voice recognition is nothing more than another form of, uh, of, of, of control or an input device, just like a knob, just like a, a dial, just like a keyboard. So there's a couple of different scenarios here. You can use the voice recognition in a regulated medical device uh, for simply note-taking purposes. <clears throat> and if that's the case, then obviously FDA would, would not have anything to do with that because that's just uh, you know a tape recorder. On the other hand, if you're going to use the voice recognition to make an adjustment, let's say, for example, you have a, an infusion pump, a, uh, uh, an IV pump that is, uh, that is delivering uh, intravenous liquids and possibly drugs into a patient. The way that we commonly adjust that, uh, the drip rate and so on, is by pushing buttons on the, on the user interface. Well, one could easily envision a scenario, and I have a device that I'm working on right now, where instead of pushing buttons, it uses voice recognition. You know, you simply say uh, increase drip rate to, you know, X drips per minute or, uh, or, or uh, deliver, um, you know, 500 mils of, you know, a particular drug or something like that. In that particular case, then obviously, just like any other input device, a button or a knob, that would be of a concern to the FDA. The company would have to demonstrate that that voice recognition uh, is reliable, that if you tell it to change the drip rate, it does so accurately. You would also have to show through human factor or ergonomic testing that uh, different people with different voice uh, uh, you know, patterns and so on, the, uh, the device would interpret it properly. So to me, it's nothing more than, uh, than just another input device, only we're doing it with voice recognition as opposed to uh, you know, a physical button or a keyboard or something else. Yeah, I would definitely, uh, I would definitely be uh, uh, admittedly a little leery of a, a device that you speak to to adjust, say, a, a medication, uh, you know, uh, dosage or something like that. Considering I do have a, you know, one of the Amazon Echo, one of the Alexa voice 
activated uh, systems at home, and I know that it's not always, you know, 100% accurate. And, uh, you know, that, that accuracy and, and uh, uh, that comparison I kind of make in my editor's letter to uh, consumer wearables, where it's a fitness device. And, you know, as, as most people know who have those, it's not the most, you know, clinically accurate device out there. Uh, I would hope that there's a verification process similarly for voice recognition that would, you know, prove that it would be uh, uh, accurate in every instance as, as, you know, as much as possible. Well, you know what, John, that's certainly a legitimate concern, and I think we all would, would have that concern. But in my opinion, that's a solvable problem. And let me give you a, a quick example of, uh, of what I told the company that I'm working on right now with the, uh, with the um, voice recognition system for the infusion pump. Um, uh, that problem, that, that potential for error, as you're alluding to, should not be a reason to hold us back. Uh, you pointed out in your column that voice recognition technology has come a long way over the last de uh, few decades, but it's certainly not perfect. So what I've recommended to the company is uh, the, person, the person tells the, the machine what to do. In other words, um, uh, increase drip rate you know, to X amount. Before the, the device actually executes that command, it has a verbal response back to the, uh, the caregiver, to the, to the nurse or to the physician. Um, please confirm that uh, the, the drip rate should now be you know, the same X amount. And uh, if the person says yes, then now we have confirmation that the device has interpreted that information properly. So these are, so, and I've also recommended to the company um, that, that that information be uh, displayed on the, uh, on the screen as well. So we can have multiple um, redundancies here. We can have, you know, error checking without uh, significantly impeding the, the, the technology. Somebody suggested in that particular scenario that maybe they should have to push a button in order to confirm that their verbal uh, instruction is, is correct. Well, I said, well, gee, I mean, if you're going to have to push a button, to, you know, that sort of defeats the purpose of having uh, voice control. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but nonetheless, there are a lot of different ways that we can solve that problem, Sean. Yeah, and actually uh, another interesting element was, uh, was a, an error check uh, on the on the device side, where uh, in an example I read in, in researching uh, this this issue's letter, uh, you know somebody used the example of uh, patient administ or I'm sorry uh, pharmaceutical administration, where you know a dosage was prescribed and the device actually error checked and said the proper dosage for this pharmaceutical is, you know, X milligrams and not what you indicated, please verify or, you know, double check dosage or double check prescription, whatever it was, but the device made, you know, through this, and that could be something that's done easily on a monitor, but it was just interesting that it was done through, you know, the, the, the caregiver was indicating a dosage, the device then checked that and, and responded in a, in a voice uh, response saying, you know, double-check dosage, please. You're exactly right, and I've recommended that strategy myself a number of times, Sean. And from a regulatory perspective, it is kind of interesting because a physician can obviously prescribe a drug or use a medical device any way they want. 
regardless of what's indicated on the label. But in that particular example, as you just described, what the device is actually asking the caregiver is, uh, do you want to use this off? Are you want? Do you want to use this drug or this medical device off label? Is that really what you want to do? You know, of course, we're not saying it in those words, but that's exactly in reality what we're talking about. Right, right. And then, and then to go back to to the editor's letter, there was a there was a company that I had mentioned and, and brought up that was uh, uh, provided as an example in an online exclusive that we had run. Uh, the company was Beyond Verbal, where they're doing uh, work to diagnose coronary artery disease using voice recognition uh, and, and some elements of, voice, of the voice and have identified a biomarker using a person's voice for coronary artery disease. Uh, you know, what's the, you know, regulatory implications here? What are the, you know, what are, what are your impressions of, of that type of technology? Well, using a voice biomarker, which is what is uh, being referred to here, uh, using voice patterns to diagnose a disease, atherosclerosis or coronary artery disease or any other disease, um, on one hand, as a biomedical engineer from a technology perspective uh, and being uh, based in the Boston area, I would say that's wicked cool. But <laughs> on the other hand, there's really nothing new here because what we're talking about is a new biomarker or a new material. Um, and just like any time that we have a new biomarker or a new biomaterial, we have to not just validate the device, but we have to validate the biomarker. The company will obviously have to prove to the FDA that the, uh, the, the, the diagnosis of coronary artery disease, you know, based on this particular uh, in this case, voice biomarker, is valid. And, uh, you know, so to me, Sean, I see this no different than um, a new, uh, a new nu nucleic acid sequence, for example, that's a, a biomarker that we put into an in vitro diagnostic or a new biomaterial that we make a, uh, you know, a stent out of or something like that. We have to validate that voice biomarker and the, the validation itself, the, uh, the, even though, as far as I know, nobody has done this yet with voice, um, but the validation itself is exactly the same as the validation of any, any other new biomarker or new biomaterial. So on one hand, we don't have any regulation, obviously, that specifically addresses it. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that we don't need it, and I hope that we never have it, um, because that should be up to us. We should, as, as uh, you know, professionals in this field, we should understand what is the best way to validate, in this case, this new voice biomarker. And then, you know, my recommendation to the company, I don't work with this particular company, but my recommendation would, would be to take this to the FDA um, uh, in advance of any submission in the form of a pre-submission meeting or a pre-sub and sell it to them. And taking that a step further, Sean, if I were to offer some free consulting of advice, uh, going directly from that new voice biomarker to uh, coronary artery disease or atherosclerosis, that's a pretty big step. That's a pretty big leap. Maybe what they might do is take a baby step and say, you know, based on your voice patterns, for example, over the last several days or weeks, we notice that, um, you know, there, that, that you might 
you know, be having difficulty breathing or something like that, you might want to go to your doctor instead and, and have it checked out. You know, sending up a red flag, so to speak, from a regulatory perspective, that's going to have a much lower regulatory burden. In fact, you might even be able to do that under the wellness exemption and get the product on the market that way and then take it a step or two further, go back to the FDA as a, with a series of uh, one or more label expansions where we make the, the claims uh, more and more aggressive, more and more um, you know, medically specific, sort of climaxing with you know, coronary artery disease. Uh, but it, you know, it's just a matter of does the company want to do this all at one time or is a series of baby steps. I sometimes use baseball as a metaphor. It's the difference between swinging for uh, a single versus swinging for a home run. Everything mm -hmm. else being equal, I would much prefer to swing for a home run. Uh, but if you swing for a home run, you have a higher likelihood of striking out. And in this very risk-averse industry that we've evolved into, a lot of companies don't like to do that. So instead I say, well, why don't you swing for a single, you know, a base hit, the, the batter comes up and they, you know, they get a base hit, the, the batter moves to first, the next batter comes up, they get a base hit, the runner moves from first to second and so on. At the end of the day, <clears throat> we get to the same place. We get all of the runners around the, the bases. It's just a matter of do we want to do it at one time, uh, a home run, or do we want to do it in a series of, of baby steps, of, of base hits. And that what I'm describing there is the idea of a label expansion, something that's very, very common in the drug world. Uh, it's not quite as common in the medical device world, although I use label expansions all the time. So in terms of this voice biomarker, you know, doing it as a series of baby steps might be a little bit more palatable to the company because it is less risk. And the last thing that I'll say on this, Sean, is that, you know, by definition, a label expansion is always easier uh, than, than getting a product onto the market for the first time for a number of reasons, not the least of which is a lot of the information that goes into the label expansion will just be repurposed from the, from the original submission. So, you know, bottom line, there's a lot of advantages to that strategy for especially new technologies like what we're describing here. But the idea of a voice biomarker, on one hand, you know, it seems kind of new or novel, and from a technology perspective it is, but when we look at, you know, how it compares to other things, it's really not that, that different. Well, not that different, but definitely interesting, as you said earlier, wicked cool in, in many <laughs> cases. So uh, I can certainly appreciate that. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode of Mike on MedTech. Uh, please reach out to, uh, to me via email if you have any topics that you'd like to hear discussed or any uh, questions or comments about uh, podcast that you've already listened to. Uh, until the next uh, episode, for Mike Drews, I'm Sean Fenske, editor of Medical Product Outsourcing, and thanks for listening. <laughs>